Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to a time when we shall be representing you on the highest stage, O Lord, and we want that you will prepare us to represent you anyhow you want us to. On that note, Lord, as we fellowship with you now, we pray, please grant to us power, inspire us, O Lord, with courage, with firmness, give us all the graces of your Spirit that will be needed for us to reflect perfectly the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please put your words in my mouth, that as I speak, the words shall be spirit and life to all who listen, and that we all shall indeed quench our thirst and fill our hungry souls. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, July 27 What doest thou here? And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 9 Elijah's retreat on Mount Horeb, though hidden from man, was known to God and the weary and discouraged prophet was not left to struggle alone with the powers of darkness that were pressing upon him. God met his tried servant with the inquiry, What doest thou here, Elijah? I sent you to the brook Cherit, and afterwards to the widow of Sarepta. I commissioned you to return to Israel and to stand before the idolatrous priests on Carmel, and I girded you with strength to guide the chariot of the king to the gate of Jezreel. But who sent you on this hasty flight into the wilderness? What errand have you here? Much depends on the unceasing activity of those who are true and loyal, and for this reason, Satan puts forth every possible effort to thwart the divine purpose to be wrought out through the obedient. He causes some to lose sight of their high and holy mission and to become satisfied with the pleasures of this life. Others he causes to flee in discouragement from duty because of opposition or persecution. To every child of God whose voice the enemy of souls has succeeded in silencing. The question is addressed, What doest thou here? I commissioned you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to prepare a people for the day of God. Why are you here? Of families as of individuals, the question is asked, What doest thou here? In many churches, there are families well instructed in the truths of God's word, 
who might widen the sphere of their influence by moving to places in need of the ministry they are capable of giving. God calls for Christian families to go into the dark places of the earth and work wisely and perseveringly for those who are enshrouded in spiritual gloom. For the sake of worldly advantage, for the sake of acquiring scientific knowledge, men are willing to venture into pestilential regions and to endure hardships and privation. Where are those who are willing to do as much for the sake of telling others of the Savior? Amen. The title of our devotion for today is What Doest Thou Here? Elijah, having fled from the threat of Jezebel, thought to take himself to a place where no man knew and intended to die there, hoping that no one would find him and he would never see any man's face again and no man will know his whereabouts. All they would say is, where is Elijah? We don't know. That was his intention. He left his servant in a place and said, stay here while I go forward. And as he went forward, he went to the secrecy of Carmel, hiding somewhere and pleaded for the Lord to take his life. What would have been the end of this? Jezebel would have searched for him to no avail. The Israelites would have searched for him to no avail. His servant would have said, The last I knew of Elijah was that he said I should wait here for him at Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and I know not where he is. He went somewhere that I don't know. For a whole day I didn't see him, and since that day I have not seen him. That would have been the story. He sat down under a juniper tree and requested that he might die. 1 Kings chapter 19 reading from verse 5 says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Once more we are looking at the events that took place during the discouragement of Elijah. By the grace of God, yesterday we realized that we have this story of Elijah written down for us for a purpose, coming for us very soon at more trying times than that of Elijah. The threat of Jezebel to Elijah is nothing compared to the threat that the people of God are going to face in a very short season, very, very soon. 
The book of Revelation 13 tells us that a time is coming when the greatest threat ever made to God's people will be made, that they will not be able to buy or sell unless they do the bidding of the state, of the people, which is of the beast. But God's people at that time have this story of Elijah before them. We have it before us to encourage us and show us what we should not do when we are threatened. It shows us how we should conduct ourselves when we are threatened. Looking at the life of Martin Luther, we saw an example of how God's children should respond in the face of opposition. And it should be with firmness, courage, without the fear of death, but with bravery. That is what we learned yesterday. But the truth is, there are times when we feel discouraged by the outlook of things when we are doing the work of God. Various circumstances may arise to discourage a man of God or a woman of God from the work. In the case of Elijah, it was a threat on his life which he considered worthy of note that made him discouraged and he left his post of duty. Like we have already seen, this chapter of Elijah's life was written for us to ensure that when we find ourselves in the same situation or circumstance as his, we should not do as he did but what we are supposed to do when our life is threatened is that we are to stand courageous. When our life is threatened, there is no reason for us to neglect the work of God which we are doing. There are many today who have been discouraged by one circumstance or the other, perhaps a direct threat on one's life or a loss of something dear to you may have made you become discouraged. It could be that in the post of duty you were ridiculed, so ridiculed and mocked and rejected in a surprising way that you start to doubt your credentials for the service and begin to think, maybe, just maybe, this work is not for me. There are still others who, while doing the work of God, they see some old friend who is now so-called doing well, prosperous, he's successful, as the world tempts it, because the person is wealthy or because he's famous and popular. You may see someone you knew some time ago living rich and sumptuously, and then you begin to feel discouraged about yourself. And like Elijah, you neglect your post of duty because you are intimidated by the riches of your friends, of your childhood's, childhood friends or your brothers or your sisters. You are intimidated by their wealth. And then like Elijah, you become discouraged and neglect your post of duty. Some have felt so embarrassed and insulted that they have left God's work to chase after the world so that they can remove the reproach from themselves. There are others on account of the marriage of their brethren or sisters. They have felt intimidated and said, What good does this work profit me? Many are saying, See my friend, see my brother, see my sister. He's doing well, she's doing well. See that my brother or sister, she's married. They are married with children and here I am. Only me doing the work of God and being insulted. Don't I have the right to get married too? Don't I have the right to have children? And like I have stated earlier, it may be that you have been threatened by your own church. Elijah was threatened by his church. Or you have been threatened by your people like Jezebel who are being affected by the message you preach. You know, Jezebel was affected by Elijah's message. It's it caught her. And that was the reason she threatened him. And perhaps you too, your message has caught some people and they have threatened you. And then 
there are others who have been treacherously betrayed by their own brethren in the faith. Their fellow soldiers perhaps through backbiting, gossiping, misrepresentation, evil reports, you have become so discouraged because there is no greater pain, no greater discouragement than for it to come from one who you considered to be your own family and that has discouraged you. You have been so broken that you cannot continue the work again. It reminds me of a man called James White when his brethren betrayed him, spoke treacherously of him, suspected him of evil. It so broke him that he almost could not recover from it. There have been many ministers who have been misrepresented by their fellow ministers who should have trusted them and this discouraged them so much that they could not wake up. They could not get up from the blow which they received from their own brother and they couldn't continue the work. They left like Elijah and said to the Lord, It is enough. Take me away. Take my life, they say. It is enough. There is no greater blow than that one that I can think of. Like Jesus himself said, My own familiar friend, they are the ones that come against me. Jesus was betrayed by his own friend Judas. What do we do? You feel, like I said, if your own close friend has done this to you, you ask yourself, why should I continue? You feel discouraged and betrayed. What do we do? In such a case, we have seen in yesterday's devotion what we are to do. We are to boldly stand at the post of duty and continue the work we have started. But there are those who have abandoned ship like Elijah out of fear and discouragement. For whatever reason, maybe not the same reason as that of Elijah, which was a threat. I've listed a good number of them now. But whatever reason, it's still the same response, discouragement and neglecting the post of duty, going a wall. To such a person who is discouraged because they have fallen, the Lord asks the question, What doest thou here, brother? What doest thou here, sister? The Lord did not reject you. One incident or one moment of weakness does not define the life and usefulness of a man. Like we read in our devotion, Conflict and Courage, page 214, paragraph 4. Much depends on the unceasing activity of those who are true and loyal, and for this reason, Satan puts forth every effort to twat the divine purpose to be brought to be wrought out through the obedient. Do you not know that Satan is fighting you? And he wants you to get discouraged. And that is why he's fighting with great purpose to stop the work that he knows. You don't even know how important the work you are doing is. But Satan wants to stop it because he knows how dangerous you are to his kingdom. Elijah was dangerous to Satan's kingdom and he was working hard to see how he can stop Elijah on his tracks. And he's doing the same to you, obedient child of God. He says he causes some to lose sight of their high and holy mission and to become satisfied with the pleasures of this life. Oh, don't preach again. I will give you riches. I will make you wealthy. Just don't preach again. Others he causes to flee in discouragement from duty because of opposition or persecution. So he threatens, I will make you poor. I will make you sick. He will make sure that you cannot find food to eat. I'll make you oppressed by your family members and your friends and I'll bring to your mind those thoughts. Look at you. What have you achieved? You're just going around preaching all about carrying the Bible. Who do you think you are helping? 
look at how many people are doing well and here you are dressed in rags and wearing trekking all over the road and saying you are preaching to people will you neglect the duty it's satan that brings those thoughts to your mind do not neglect your post of duty going on it says to every child of god whose voice the enemy of souls has succeeded in silencing the question is addressed what doest thou here I commissioned you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to prepare a people for the day of God. Why are you here? Of families as of individuals, the question is asked, what doest thou here? In many churches, there are families like your own, well instructed in the truths of God's word. You see, this doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but I do know people who had in time past even worked with me or worked with others who are well instructed in the word of god but they have left it to chase after the world they are trying to meet up with the joneses and the smiths they were discouraged they felt oh i need a family i need to have children like my own peers and my brother and my sister i need to build a family like every other person and then they neglect the work of god the lord is asking you do you remember those days when you used to preach do you remember those days when you gave yourself over to the ministry helping in various duties whether it was in the cooking of the food or the arrangement of the place for the evangelism helping out in one way or the other and now you are satisfied because you have wealth you are satisfied to chase after the things of this world the lord is asking you what doest thou here Okay? In many churches, there are families well instructed in the truths of God's word who might widen the sphere of their influence by moving to places in the need of the ministry they are capable of giving. God calls for Christian families to go into the dark places of the earth and work wisely and perseveringly for those who are enshrouded in spiritual gloom. For the sake of worldly advantage, for the sake of acquiring scientific knowledge, men are willing to venture into pestilential regions and to endure hardship and privation where are those who are willing to do as much for the sake of telling others of the savior end of quote there's no way i can read what i just read now without remembering some incidents in my own life i went to a region where there were islamic terrorists to preach the word of god and all hell let loose phone calls from all over saying you are being stupid you are a fanatic why would you go to such a place to preach the word of god and i waited patiently to listen to all the complaints and all the hurlings against me but i knew very well that those who were saying this were just being selfish because i knew that if they were told to go to that same place that i was for some millions of uh, some huge cash they would go not long some years later just a few years later three four years later or so someone called me one of them called me there's a work in another deeper islamic terrorist region that somebody wants to give me work there to earn some millions (laughs) and i said i'm not going and he said no don't worry the lord will protect you go don't worry god will bless you i said do you remember the time i went for evangelism in an area that was not even as terrible as this one how you said i was a fanatic now you are willing to sacrifice me to go and make some money is that not selfishness this was an incident that happened in my own life you see the human selfishness is bad 
But then the human ability to dare and to do is a good thing too. But what are you daring and doing for? Is it for God or for selfish purposes like we just read? There are those who, for the sake of worldly advantage, they are willing to venture into pestilential regions and to endure hardship. They are doing it today. But if you tell them to do the same thing just so they can preach to others, you will hear them. They will all go away sorrowful like the rich young ruler because they love their possessions or they love their life more than the lives of others or they love to remain on this earth. And all of them, let me just say, they don't love the Lord enough. You see, if this describes your condition, the Lord is asking you, what doest thou here? Why did you neglect my work for worldly advantage? Why did you neglect it for fear that you may never find a spouse or that you will die or your children will perish? Why do you put yourself first above the work? Is my blood and sacrifice not enough for you to hazard yourself on my behalf? Have the attractions and the reward of the faithful lost its charm on you? Are the attractions of the pleasures of heaven not worth the things you are losing, even if you lose your life and your children also? You know so much and have great knowledge in spiritual things. Why did you leave teaching others that which was imparted to you, that you may selfishly keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths, or that you may preserve your life? Come back to me, says the Lord. Come back to the vineyard of the Lord. Your work is still here, left undone. Whether betrayal, gossip, threat, hatred, persecution, mockery, ridicule, or whatever Satan may bring on our pathway to cause discouragement, let us learn from God's response to Elijah that he does not expect us to leave our post of duty and he expects us to continue our work. Now, Notice how God does not rebuke Elijah harshly or point his faults to him in a pressing manner. He knows all that Elijah needs is encouragement and not censure. The Lord does not forget the works of Elijah and his faithfulness to him. He hasn't forgotten your works too. He does not treat Elijah as though he were a stranger or a person who has made such an unforgivable and grievous error or sin. He treats him compassionately and encourages him. You see, too often. Man does not behave like God in matters like these. There are those who have been beneficiaries of the ministry of others and have rejoiced under the truth received by the instrumentality of their fellow man. Yet, they manifest a lack of respect in the way they handle the names and the errors so-called sometimes of these men. They are very critical. They make a mountain out of a molehill. They are very quick to want to find errors in the life of those who handle such sacred things. They do more harm than good. The treatment of the Lord to Elijah when Elijah was was discouraged is an example to us of how we should treat our brethren when they fall and are discouraged on account of their fall. It could be that they fell out of the way because of a threat or they abandoned the work to chase after the world and it's a sin like Demas, neglected the work of God, having loved this present world. Or it could be that they really fell into sin like King David did. How do we treat people like Elijah who have done such great works and then they fall? Do we treat them as though we have no respect towards them anymore just because of that incident? 
I'll read now from Gospel Workers of 1892, page 93. It says, If after one has done the best he can in his judgment, another thinks he can see where he could have improved the matter, he should kindly, as the one who sees the error in another person's life, should kindly and patiently give the brother the benefit of his judgment but should not censure him nor question his integrity of purpose any sooner than he himself would wish to be suspected or unjustly censured. If the brother who feels the cause of God at heart sees that in his efforts to do, he has made a failure, he will feel deeply over the matter, for he will be inclined to distrust himself. That was what happened to Elijah. He felt he had made an error and he was distrusting himself. And you may see your brother too. He didn't know. He felt he was doing the work the best that he could. And you think, oh, he should have done it better. Give him the benefit of his judgment. That that was the best he thought he could do at that time. Now, if he, like we just sees that he, if he see, like we just read now, if he sees that he made a failure, that person will feel deeply over the matter. For he will be inclined to distrust himself and to lose confidence in his own judgment. Nothing now will so weaken his courage and godlike manhood as to realize his mistakes in the work that God has appointed him to do, a work which he loves better than his life. How unjust then for his brethren who discover his errors to keep pressing the thorn deeper and deeper into his heart, to make him feel more intensely when with every trust they are weakening his faith and courage and his confidence in himself to work successfully in the upbuilding of the cause of God. So here is delineated for us something we should not do. Do you have an Elijah around you, perhaps like David who made a mistake or Elijah himself who left the work or who got discouraged and left completely, whether they left to chase the world or left to get uh, something that they thought was necessary but they left the work of God or they even sinned. Remember, don't weaken the courage of a brother or a sister who you see have erred. Rather, leave the matter like it says. Don't trust it. Don't press it when you know that the person has understood what they did wrong. And also be ready to give people the benefit of their judgment that they did what they did with respect to how they felt this was the best way to do it. So, we should be careful to treat others as we want to be treated. The way the Lord treated Elijah is a lesson for us. In Prophets and Kings, page 164, paragraph 3, we are told, For the disheartened, there is a sure remedy. And what's the remedy if we are disheartened? Faith, prayer, work. Faith and activity will impart assurance and satisfaction that will increase day by day. Are you tempted to give way to feelings of anxious foreboding or utter despondency? In the darkest days, when appearances seems most forbidding, fear not. Have faith in God. He knows your need. He has all power. His infinite love and compassion never weary. Fear not that he will fail of fulfilling his promise. He is eternal truth. Never will he change the covenant he has made with those who love him. And he will bestow upon his faithful servants the measure of efficiency that their need demands. The Apostle Paul has testified. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. 
For when I am weak, then am I strong. Second Corinthians 12 verse 9 and 10. End of quote. So, what is the remedy to you who are discouraged? Faith, work, prayer. Do not leave the post of duty. Continue working. Let nothing separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Whether it is the mockery, the ridicule. You know Paul said it in Romans 8 reading from verse 39 there. That nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Whether it is the mockery, the threats, the persecutions, angels, whatever it is. Let nothing separate us from the work the Lord has given to us. Especially this applies to people who are like Elijah, people who the Lord has blessed with a knowledge of spiritual things, but they have left that thing and gone after the world. Or for one reason or the other, out of fear, perhaps are keeping quiet. They don't want to talk anymore. Speak up, brother. Speak up, sister. Have they silenced you in the church because they have threatened you or mocked you and made you feel that maybe they can say you illiterate and because of that you keep quiet? Or they just mock you and say things about you that are misrepresenting, gossiping you, surmising evil. Wake up. Don't keep quiet. Don't get discouraged. The Lord has given you a work. Do the work faithfully and you will receive the blessing of the Lord. It's okay like it was for Elijah. The Lord speaks encouragement to you. Elijah left his work. You may have left yours. The Lord is saying, what doest thou here? Go back. Don't worry. The Lord will strengthen you. No Jezebel will destroy you. Whether it is the ridicule, the taunting, the mockery, the threat, or the intimidation of people, go and the Lord will strengthen you. Let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the encouragement you've given to us today. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have neglected our duty out of fear or out of intimidation or mockery. There are some who are now content. The devil has made them content with the pleasures of this life and they have left their post of duty. Lord, may this message get to such a heart and help them to realize where they have fallen from and come back to do the work that you have appointed them to do. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Continue to strengthen us and give us the grace to prepare ourselves for your coming and also to prepare others. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Lord, make me to know my measure of my days. What is it that I may know how frail I am? Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days. What is it that I may know Thou hast made my days as a handbreadth and mine age. It has nothing before thee, altogether vanity. Surely every man walketh in a vain show, they are disquieted. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. Now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. 
Deliver me from all my transgressions Make me not the reproach of the foolish Lord, make me to know my end And the measure of my days What is it that I may know How frail I am Hear my prayer, O Lord And give ear unto my cry Hold not thy peace in my tears For I am a stranger and a sojourner that I may recover strength before I go, before I go hence and be no more, hear my prayer.